You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpas on Adobe Radio and Jabberjaw Media. My name is Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. And this week, we have a living legend on the show, Kira Rossler from Black Flag. She has influenced so many people that have been on this show. I was super excited to get her on the show uh, for a conversation. And we went over a lot of her upbringing and how she got into the band, multiple bands before Black Flag, how she got into, you know, from her brother, getting her into all sorts of different things, even into her life now. Uh, it's a fascinating story. And I mean, it's just so many bands and musicians on this show have been influenced by Black Flag. It's astounding. And I mean, what an amazing band and an amazing accomplishment. Um, you know, coming through that time and, and uh, you know, the whole SST era, punk rock, uh, hardcore scene just had such a strong vibe and a strong influence on on so many people. So super stoked to have her on the show. She took time out of her workday to come on and have a conversation. She is now a dialogue editor uh, in Hollywood working on movies. She is uh, was on a team that was uh, nominated and won an Oscar for Mad Max Fury Road, and she's also an Emmy winner. So uh, what a cool transition from music into, you know, working on movies 
I mean, just it's just such a cool transition, and it's something I didn't know a lot about. So she schooled me on that, and uh, it was just a fun conversation. So I'm not going to drag on for you guys. I know you want to hear it, so we'll get right into that. I want to get some business out of the way first. We are on PeerPleasurePodcast.com. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter and Facebook. And like I say every week, I'm not super big into Twitter. We are on there. But Instagram is kind of the place to go. It seems like the easiest route. And the website, of course, purepleasurepodcast.com. We are on Spotify as well. Uh, feel free to add us into your playlist if you listen to the show on there. And just super glad to have you guys week after week. I need to talk about Rockabilia, rockabilia.com. Frankie at Rockabilia has been fantastic, sponsoring the network, sponsoring the show, and just putting out a great product, over 500,000 items, and we're actually getting some stuff shipped to us this week, uh, a new Converge hoodie for me, which I am stoked on, and uh, like I say, I use Rockabilia all the time. I have since I was a teenager. They've been around forever. Uh, you want to save 15% off your order, use our code PCJabberJaw at checkout. Save yourself 15% on all the band merch you want. There's definitely some Black Flag stuff on there. Um, you know, you can look back through the, the myriad of guests on this show and definitely pick something out that you like, uh, rockabilia.com, check them out. Um, and so let's go ahead and get into my conversation here without further ado. Here is Kira Rossler from Black Flag. Kira, I, I wanted to uh, welcome you to the podcast first off, and and uh, we'll go ahead and start recording, and and uh, this will be out in a couple weeks, but um, want to let you know where we'll start that off, and and uh, I kind of want to know uh, where you come from, you know, kind of your your growing up life as far as um, you know, your your growing up and and discovering music and and kind of starting from the beginning. 
Cool. Um, so, yeah, uh, I uh, was born in New Haven, Connecticut, which is on the coast there. Uh, um, but uh, and I only lived there till I was eight, but I did start... Uh, my brother and I started playing piano, classical piano, uh, when I was six and he was nine. I have an older brother named Paul who also does music. So we both started classical piano at, uh, at, uh, an early age. And then, uh, when I was eight, we moved to, uh, the Caribbean, an island called Curacao, which is off the coast of Venezuela. And, uh, uh, that was because my father uh, left his corporate job to be a scuba diving underwater photographer, and we just, you know, were somewhat regular family. We went to school. It was a Dutch school. It's an island that has had a Dutch government, still does, uh, and the schools were in Dutch. Um, and we continued to take uh, piano lessons, although I quit uh I quit at, uh, I think, 11 years old. I quit because I couldn't keep up with my brother being three years older than me, and I was very competitive. <laughs> uh, so I fell behind, and that bothered me. So um, so I quit. Uh, and then uh, we moved to Northern California after a few years in the Caribbean, and... Uh, then my parents divorced, and we moved to Los Angeles with my mom. Uh, and at that, it was at that point in LA when uh, my brother's prog rock band needed a uh, bass player, and I decided, oh, well, that's the trick: is to not play the same instrument as him, but to play a different instrument, and then I can play with him. So I started. Uh, trying to learn the bass guitar, borrowed a bass guitar, and started practicing like a crazy person <laughs> uh, to try to be good enough to be in this prog rock band, uh, which I was never able to be because uh, uh, stuff was complicated and I just wasn't very good. But luckily he got into punk rock, and uh, and so I was able to have my first, first punk rock band with him when I was... 16, uh, and when he played drums, because we didn't think, you know, punk rockers had keyboards in their band, so he was the drummer of the first band I played with called Wax, W-A-X-X. Uh-huh. That's, that's, it. so there's so much there. That, <laughs> that well, So what was your dad's day job before becoming an underwater? So my dad was, yeah, uh, so my dad was in computers. And uh, I just decided to get out of the rat race. You know, it was one of those pick up your family and get out of the rat race and uh, and move to the Caribbean. And and he to make money, he would run scuba diving tours uh, to the islands where we were living. He had a friend in Northern California who uh, had a little travel agency that was running scuba diving tours, and he would take these people out to the best diving spots. And then we eventually moved there so that he could uh, take over that company and continue taking people on diving trips all over the world. Man, were you guys 
I mean, were people, were you guys terrified? Like, that's kind of a big, a big jump, <laughs> especially as being kids. Well, that's the thing about being a kid is you, <laughs> you, you don't know you should be terrified. And we know we weren't terrified. I mean, it, uh, the Dutch are wonderful people. The government, you know, it was, a, we came back to the States way advanced in our, in our studies, um, no, I mean there was, the islands were beautiful and and uh, and they were kind of out of the hurricane belt. I mean, my, my parents had chosen carefully what island to go to. Uh, it's a pretty developed island um, with a big harbor, a, a big tourist trade, and restaurants and schools, and you know, I mean, sure, sure, yeah, I say the love boat went there. You know, <laughs> how bad can it be? <laughs> God, that's that's well, that's just an interesting. I love that. I love doing this show because there's so many different stories. But I mean, this is completely off base from what I would have imagined. And and uh, but such a cool little transition. I was expecting to say military family or doing like uh, moving around like that. But then you know coming into your own with with your brother. I mean, can't beat him, join him kind of thing. But join him on something else. Uh, you know. And, yeah. That's... Well, I followed him around. I followed my big brother around and everything, you know. So I guess I felt somewhat protected by that and, and didn't have a whole lot of original ideas. So punk rock it was because that's what he did. <laughs> <laughs> well, the interesting thing with, with punk rock, too, is it's it's so inclusive. It it seems like from from looking back on it, just how inclusive it was, uh, you know, every gender and and walk of life was welcomed with open arms. It seemed like and and just like a safe place. I mean, I, I guess that's the wrong. I, the wrong I wouldn't word. say that. Wrong word. I guess I mean a safe place for for being who you are. But it was still that's one thing I want to get into as well because it's like this weird paradox because an extremely violent and uh, aggressive. Uh, scene is that inclusive of of you know what I mean? Where in 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 other types of music, it seems like it's kind of you know it was either a boys' club or a girls' club, but not as involved with with both. But where uh, do you come from? How old are you? <laughs> I'm thirty. So my experience here's my experience. Sure. In the Hollywood, in Hollywood, punk rock in the early days, it was not inclusive in the sense that. You know, hippies and disco people were not welcome. It was like we had decided we were carving out this thing for us that didn't include them. And if you had, you know, long hair, looked a certain way, you know, I would make fun of you at the door. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, and the violence thing was not, you know, I mean, it was not at the forefront in the early days, you know. It was pogoing way before it was slam dancing, right? So sure. it was it was and there were a lot but proportionally there were quite a few girls and there were, the cool thing about the girls, some of them is they didn't even play music and they were like on the cover of the fanzines and stuff just because they looked cool <laughs> and dressed cool and because they were setting the you know, sort of standard for what punk rock looked like i mean i couldn't do that because i was a total tomboy and i and i didn't even try but there were these whole you know group of girls who just looked like really punk and didn't do anything else sure but go to parties and date the men and you know stuff 
It's like that almost famous, uh, kind of like the famous uh, groupie kind of thing, or where where they're just kind of hanging out with the people in the scene and. and but they were famous. They were celebrities <laughs> in there. Oh, that's what I'm saying. But everyone knew who they were. So not really. You know, it sure. was like, it was like that's Helen Killer. She's fucking rad. You know, and she 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 wasn't known to be like whoever with whoever her boyfriend was per se, but for herself. It was anyway. It was fascinating, and it made it feel a little more inclusive, at least in the terms of being a girl. Even though I didn't fit in with those girls because I didn't, you know, I was a tomboy. I I was more comfortable with the guys, and I looked more like I dressed more like the guys, and I didn't wear makeup, and I didn't, you know, frizz my hair out or <laughs> wear eyeliner or whatever. <laughs> I mean, a couple of times people made me up, so there's some photos up there of me made up from those days, but I didn't do it. <laughs> I think I've seen some of those, and I was like, what? That's crazy. Like, And I guess a lot of the like the violent stuff I'm going off of is, is a lot of the stuff, or I guess I guess Henry talks a lot about, you know, getting ashtrays thrown at his face and, and burnt cigarettes put out on his feet and, like, uh Yeah, I mean, later, for sure. But there was... Things did later get a lot rougher, and I don't know about D.C. It may be that D.C. was a little rougher even in the early days, but, you know, um, once we got on tour, you know, I got on tour with them, I was certainly a lot more... I mean, things, when they got, my feeling about it is that when things got bigger, you had these people who were interpreting what they thought punk rock was. Mm -hmm. And so they looked at pogoing and saw slam dancing, you know what I mean? Like that, like Orange County started coming in, you know, all these people from the South Bay and all this, you know, it started expanding and more people and it's more boys especially started coming to the gigs and they, you know, had more testosterone to bring to the table, you know. Yeah. And so, and and it were these places like, the, you know, Cuckoo's Nest and the Fleetwood down south where I wouldn't even go because it was just, you know, it was just not a pleasant place to go unless you were playing the gig I wouldn't go to like see bands because it just was not fun for a girl to try to watch sure well how much time passed between when you were in Wax and then joining Black Flag you were in a couple bands in between there even right yeah definitely I was 16 when I was in Wax and I wasn't in Black Flag till I was 23 so okay. seven years so I was in a lot of bands. I was in uh, school. I was in uh, I was in tenth uh, and eleventh grade. You know, when I was sixteen, and then you know, I was finishing. I was, I had finished my third year at UCLA when I joined Black Flag, and told them that I wanted to finish, but that I would take quarters off between tours. Sure, because they were. I mean. You guys were touring like crazy with that with that band. It seemed like that was one of the really hard working bands out there, like just go and go and go. Yeah, and I was that was one of the I mean, they were my favorite band when I joined them and that was part of it was the fact that, you know, I had this idea of of them of like 
you know, whatever you do, do it all the way. To me, that's what the the logo meant for me. That's why I got the tattoo. It's like, whatever you do, just do it all the way. Or, mm-hmm. you know, why bother kind of thing. So you got your black flag tattoo before you were in the band or when you were in the band? Right when I joined. At the same time, Henry got one on the back of his neck. Okay. Okay. So it you and Henry right when both I joined because they were my favorite. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean it was it was kind of amazing. Um, I literally, they were my. I went and saw them at the whiskey after they came back from tour with Henry and with Des Oakley, and it was a five piece. Yeah, with Tuck Biscuits uh, on drums and uh, and Des was playing rhythm guitar. I was just like Henry, and I was like, damn, this is it was a really cool gig. <laughs> and then it was really weird when I. Uh, when I joined, I got this weird phone call from Henry saying, "So you want to you want to play with Black Flag?" And I said, well, uh, "What do you <laughs> you know?" And he said, "Because I was playing with Dez and this other guy. We were doing this band called DC Three, and I just really started doing it for like a, I don't know a month maybe. And so I was pra- we were practicing at the same place they were. And he said, "Well, why don't you hang out after DC Three practice and jam with Bill and Greg?" I don't think they're going to play with Chuck anymore. And I was like, whoa. I mean, to me, that was like crazy, right? Because Chuck's amazing. Oh, he's so, fantastic. <laughs> I know. So it, it was just, it was freaky. But then when I, I we finished up DC3 practice, and we, you know, I'm like, there's Bill and Greg. And I was like, so you guys want to jam? They acted like they didn't know anything about it. <laughs> So I was like, oh, uh, well, you know, Henry said, you know, you, you know, what what do you think? You want to jam? And, and then they said, yeah. And we jammed. And then they asked me to join. Holy shit. And, yeah. It was like that fast. And I said, well, look, I'm three years into UCLA. And I, I really don't want to quit. I'll work. You know, I'll take quarters off. I'll, I'll tour. I'll, you know, I'll try to make it as painless as possible, but, you know, I really got to try to finish, and they were like, that's okay. Wow. So, so they they worked around <laughs> it, and you finished school. Oh, it was brutal. That whole thing was okay. It turned out brutal. I mean, we ended up having to do winter tours, and, you know, it was bad. Oh. <laughs> but, but, you know, and we did summer tours. I mean, it was awful. It was awful, because I pretty much kind of, I, I didn't know really what I was saying, but I, I kind of had to do... Like, you say I worked in quarters, I had to do, like, spring quarter or fall corner or something to, like, keep my status or whatever. So I was having to do like, some of the key touring times, you know. So anyway, it was not uh, it was not ideal, let's just say. Sure. <laughs> December in central Canada is not ideal. Oh, my God. Yeah, I've... Oh. Jesus Christ! I so so that's and it's funny to me how how nonchalant <laughs> that call from Henry comes in because if you hear his story on on getting drunk he's like you know losing his damn mind but then he gets the chance to kind of like bring someone else into Black Flag but does it just very like so you wanna you wanna come jam? Well, he does. Well, now wait, wait, wait. Now he isn't. You know, he isn't in charge, mind you. Like yes. there, this is this is not a democracy. Greg is in charge. So Henry just knew, and and it's easy in hindsight to see this. But like we just said, I have been playing around in bands for years. Yeah. Those guys knew who I was, and they knew I could play. So. 
Henry was just trying to think of someone, you know, uh, they were all thinking of who, you know, might play. And, and Henry asked me, probably because, my guess is what would fuck with people more than a girl? <laughs> in a way, like, like I never really felt like that was a conscious decision, but I didn't think it would, it hurt my situation that I was a girl. Sure. Sure. You know what I mean? Because they were all, always very much about, uh, about like, we don't care what you think we should be like. We have, you know, you expect us to have long hair, short hair, so we're going to have long hair. You expect us to play fast songs, so we're going to play slow songs. You know what I mean? They were always a bit about that contrarianism and, and, and nonconformity. I like that about them, but that also, I fit into that, you know? Sure. Sure. And, I mean... Touring, touring with Black. I mean, and I'm also curious. I mean, how much of the stories are true? How much of the stories are are inflated? You know what I mean? Where you just hear so many mean? different. Well, you see, there's so many different angles. I mean, uh, you know, people getting assaulted. You know, cops coming and just beating people over the head. I mean, uh, like I said earlier, like you know, ashtrays getting thrown, uh, cups of piss thrown on. Like, uh, it just seems like. It, it could all be real and true, and and but some of it could be a little. You mean the you know, stuff that comes up from Henry's journal directly? How could that not be true? <laughs> well, I just I was curious on it because you were there too, and and uh, I mean, did you did you feel the same kind of things? Like as far as uh, did you take it as personally, and and uh, or did you kind of let things just roll on and just go, roll with the punches? Well, look, there were some there were some really difficult situations, no doubt about it. And there's no doubt that Henry took the brunt of whatever happened because he was the lead singer. So, sure. you know, that all of that goes without saying. And, and the thing about Henry, and I, I think he's a very funny and a very incredible man, but he he also has this part of him that's a very sort of private. Uh, almost anti-social guy, and it's weird for him to then be like the lead singer or the f- person out in front and the personality. So I think that that made it feel much uh, harder on him. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Because yeah. you know, because a part of him just wants to be left alone, and yet he's put him himself in this situation where he's not going to get left alone. You know, so uh, I do think that some of it was just the, his nature versus the nature of the position that he was at. But I would never question whether any of it was true. I mean, remember, we weren't necessarily in the same moment, in the same place. Any of it could have happened, and I could have not seen it. Certainly, I got folding, folding chairs thrown at me. I got the shit cracked, beat up. Uh, beat out of me in the woman's bathroom. You know, I, I got Wait, my got, share of stuff. You got beat up in a woman's bathroom? Uh, yeah, in Long Beach, uh, right Holy before shit. we were supposed to do a, a instrumental gig, uh, and it was an inside job. <laughs> what? Anyway, um, so yeah, and uh, and the, cause, well, the person knew. I, I figured out the person knew me after they, she was slamming my head on the bathroom floor. She grabbed my right hand, which I had been struggling with for years. You know, the whole time I was in Black Flag, my right hand was giving me trouble. She grabbed my right hand and bent it back 
all the way, and I just knew that this was someone who knew me. It wasn't a random attack. Holy shit. Um, yeah. So, anyways, uh, shit, shit was happening, and you, you did have to decide whether to take it personally or not, and we all fucking just played. Sure. And we played every time, and I played that day, and I was bloody sore the next day, mostly from, if you can get this, the muscles on your neck, because it's really hard to not resist when you're having your head <laughs> on the floor. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus Christ. that See, that's the thing that's just so insane. I mean to be be around in that time i mean it's it's fascinating to look back on because i wasn't around that time 35 so i yeah. i and i've been no you weren't <laughs> exactly i've been a touring musician for a long time before this all, all, what i'm doing now and and uh but touring was never like that it was never even in its yeah. roughest time yeah, yeah. it was nothing yeah. like that and yeah. uh you know it's just fascinating to to see what came out of those years and the the output and the. Well, I think that you know there was, like I said, there was this sort of mistaken idea of what punk rock was. I think there still is. You know, it's like people still think they know what punk rock is. You know, and I'm not saying I know. I know I have this feeling of what it is, as far as I'm concerned, but. This idea that it was violent and, and, and that violence was the thing that earmarked it, I think, is bullshit. This idea that it's about really fast music with guys screaming is also, I think, bullshit. You know, <laughs> you know so I think that actually, I think that any time you try to put a really hard set of rules on it, you've blown the concept of punk out of the water because the whole point of it was to sort of break the existing rules at the time and it, and so to stay punk you would continue to break the rules if punk became the norm you know then you'd break that rule you know yeah. and you'd continue to break the rules as long as you're like fiercely anti-rules then you're staying true to your punk rock self you know? sure What's going on, guys? This is Dewey. I want to tell you about some new releases coming up from Equal Vision Records. As you guys know, Equal Vision Records is my family, and so are these bands. I really want you to check these out. We've got Hot Water Music with their 10th studio album, Vows, out May 10th, featuring guest appearances by Dallas Green of City and Color, Thrice, The Interrupters, and Brendan and Daniel from Turnstile. See them on the 30th anniversary tour with Quicksand in the States in May and June and Europe in November. Hotwatermusic.com for more info. We also have Be Well with their new 7-inch, A Tap I Can't Turn Off, out now. First new music in two years from this band. This band is incredible, featuring members of Battery, Bane, Darkest Hour, and Fairweather. See them on tour with I Am The Avalanche in June. Equalvision.com for more info on that. And just your general information on Equal Vision Records, you're always going to find something you like at Equalvision.com. Go there for vinyl and merch from all of your favorite bands. Check out Hot Water Music's new record and Be Well's new 7-inch now.
What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working as most people are online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure. And I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. 
So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. Well, I mean, going and going and going and going and releasing, you know, two albums a year and I mean, what was the what was the studio uh, the studio life like with with Black Flag? I mean, was it just quick and dirty, like, bam, we have you know six seven days, let's knock this out, or was it? I mean, oh man, oh, you got to be kidding, right? <laughs> seven days, we are broke. <laughs> so so it goes like this. So inevitably, Kira has a midterm, like the Monday after the weekend. We have a forty eight hour lockout to lay down all the basic tracks for one or two records. Holy shit. <laughs> and me and Bill just play to, you know, we all play, but me and Bill are laying down our fucking basic tracks. So we play and then we just drop and rest for a while. And I have to study during those breaks because I've got a midterm <laughs> coming and calculus. And then, okay, so then we're get back up and play some more. And we somehow in 48 hours get an album or two worth of basic tracks laid down and then Greg and Henry have a day <laughs> to lay down their track. More like that. God, that that explains so much about the output from the band. I mean, it's just for production quality. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of it. I but wonder look, what it would sound no, like. I mean, Greg's, Greg's sensibility about production, I think, uh, it's a, it's a little bit of a shame because we it was so hard to capture Black Flag in the studio. Like the live records are the only things that kind of capture what we were doing. You know, it, yeah. it was just it was difficult to capture, and then Greg's sensibilities was were such that it 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 got even more difficult uh, to capture. Yeah, I so. can't. I can't. I mean, and that's the one thing too. Or it seems like that is kind of what what brought everything down too. In the in the end, was Greg, you know, leaving the band? Or, or I mean, when that happened, when when the band ended, Greg I, didn't leave the band. <laughs> Greg is the band. You're, you still have it wrong. Okay. <laughs> Greg kicks me out of the band. Then they get another bass player. Then he gets rid of people. Then he tells. Henry doesn't want to play anymore, but Greg is the band. Greg still owns the band. Greg fights Flag when Flag wants to do something because Greg is the band. He owns the logo. He owns everything. Is the record label? Yeah. So it's uh, he's making the decisions. He's causing the chaos if it exists. If you want to say there's <laughs> chaos, he's causing it. If you want to say there's turnover in terms of membership, which most people would say there was <laughs> that was caused by him man i just seemed so everyone was just along for the ride i mean 100 percent. just 
You're either on or you're off. No, no. I mean, we were completely and totally on board to kick 100% ass and being professional Mm -hmm. and giving it everything we had, but we were not, we did not have a final say so. It's just like, I mean, I don't know about you, but in my work, I work very hard. I am very professional. I want to do a very good job, but it is not up to me. I do not get to make the final decisions. My opinion is not required in the end about what the movie should sound like. Gotcha. Okay. Because there's a director who is much more in charge than I am. <laughs> that doesn't mean that my role isn't important, and that doesn't mean my input sometimes isn't requested. But it means ultimately my input may or may not be used, and I may be asked to leave and all of those things, you know. Okay. So it's just, it's a hierarchy. It doesn't make us, we're not, we weren't hired guns because there was no money. So that doesn't exactly <laughs> qualify. Um, that might have made it easier for him. True. True. Because he had to sort of, you know, he had to feign democracy and he wanted it to kind of be a democracy, but he also wanted what he wanted and what he wanted changed. Yeah. Well, I mean, when 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 Black Flag, you know, came in your your role with Black Flag ended, what what did you do immediately after that? Did you because you had school to fall back on? You had, I mean, did you immediately start getting into uh, the film world, or did you do? So I could no, no, no. I finished my last quarter at UCLA uh, right after I was kicked out. We finished a, a 1985 tour. The fall of 1985, I did my last quarter. So by 1986, I'm out of school and don't have work. So I moved to Connecticut. I had studied uh, computers in school, so I moved to Connecticut for a year and, and did computer programming. Because uh, I didn't have a lot of, uh, que- I didn't have a lot of connections in terms of getting a job, and I had connections in Connecticut where my dad used to work in computers mm-hmm. all that time ago. So he got me in touch with someone who he had hired back when he was there, and they hired me for like a a year, and then I uh, got my first job there, and then came back here and worked in computers for about eleven years. Okay. Before I uh, met someone who was doing sound for a living, and I was sort of disillusioned with the corporate world and the computer business and looking for something else. Okay. And then in, in, in this time period where you're working with computers, is that where um, uh, Dose had started with, with, uh, with what? So Dose started... Um, I mean, those kind of evolved even during Minutemen. I mean, Mike asked me to write some lyrics for him when Minutemen toured with Black Flag at the beginning of the 1985 tour, and I wrote some lyrics that ended up on the Freeway Tie for Last record, and I wrote some lyrics for the early Firehose stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, by the time when Debu died, Mike and I were dating, and I, we, he was locking himself in the room, and he and I would, I was afraid he was going to quit bass, so we would jam. I was doing some, when I went to Connecticut, I was doing some uh, 
bedtime stories for my nephews because I didn't want them to forget me. So I would do these, read these bedtime stories and then do bass lines, like intertwining bass lines underneath them and send them these cassettes. And so Mike and I did some of those songs and we did some jams and we turned them into our first record when I was in uh, Connecticut. I flew home to visit people, including Mike, and we recorded our first record which had a mixture of the jams and the story things and stuff. So it started, you know, yeah, right after Black Flag. Wow, that's that's interesting with the the bedtime story thing, where you know, not wanting them to forget. That's partially why I do this show too, is so my kids can hear my voice later. You know, like it's, it's like hours and hours of you know, and who I was talking to and what I was thinking. Kind kind of like a journal almost. But that's that's interesting. That involved. I had I had Watt on the show, and I can't decide who is more interesting of a person, Mike Watt or Keith Morris, because those two interviews were. I mean, Watt was just. <laughs> I I was crying laughing. He was just kind of, he went off on these tangents and uh, was just an absolute yeah. riot. And then Keith just kind of did his own thing. And uh, uh, but yeah, just a fascinating guy. And what, I mean, being and you guys were married for for quite a while, and and now you're still doing music together, and and probably always will, I would guess. Well, um, a lot less these days, I would say. He's yeah. you know he has a lot of projects, and I you know. Unfortunately, with you know, with success in my career, I don't have you know as much time. I I play my bass mostly from like you know six thirty to seven in the morning, and surprise, surprise, not that many people want to jam with me. Then I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> so I basically do. I mean, I record, I record stuff. I I have a virtual band. I record stuff, and we send files around you know i have people that i work with i make my own music i i it's but it's mostly me you know it's not uh he and i have not done anything in some time and i don't know i mean i don't i don't know what's gonna happen with that i wouldn't say that dose is broken up but i also wouldn't say that it will necessarily happen again so sure sure well, I wanted to to touch on what you're doing now and and kind of how you got. I mean, you you were saying you you had uh, gotten into the film when you when you got back from from Connecticut and and I mean, did you go straight into it's dialogue editing? Correct. That's what you're doing. No, well, no, I was in computers for like eleven years, yep, yep, yep. and then I was sort of disillusioned with all uh, the corporate world kind of as a as an environment as w- much as what I was doing. And then I met someone who, uh, actually my brother was composing for a short film, and this guy was uh, doing the sound for this short film. He had been to USC Film School, and, and he had gotten Paul to do it, and they hired me in to do some bass work on it. And... Uh, I got to to learn a little bit about what you know what doing sound for film was like, and I uh, sort of twisted his arm to hire me for his tiny little company. And I said, you know, give me eight bucks an hour, and I'll answer your phones, and I'll <laughs> you know just help in the office until I can, you know, learn the 
you know, learn enough to be of value to you until, until I can do something that, uh, that contributes. And, uh, and then by the time, uh, you know, a little time passed and, and there were four people in the company and it turned out the guys tended to lean towards sound effects and that dialogue tended to be where nobody wanted to, so there was sort of this niche where, you know, that was an area that people were less drawn to. So I started uh, focusing in on that. And I found that that actually is true sort of industry-wide, that more women uh, focus on the dialogue area, not exclusively by any means, but mm-hmm. that there's it's definitely higher percentages. Okay. And so... Dialogue editing, what it would what it would sound like to me is is uh, I mean I, I mean I, I wanted you to kind of explain it because it's something that I've not heard as like a, a profession. I, I so. know, I, I know because it's like wait, don't they just record it on the set? I know, I understand. Believe me. Uh, so what happens is they yes they record it on the set right and they do all these takes and they do all these angles and and so then the picture editor basically chops it all up into what you then see as a scene, right? Uh-huh. And so what that, what that is made up of is different angles and different takes of a scene. And so if you were to hear it in its initial state, it would sound like... As you have all these different angles, right? Okay. So basically, it's my job to make that sound like it's a single scene playing when it really, when it isn't, it, it's uh, it's made up of a bunch of different things that were cut together into the scene. I also then record replacement dialogue, and I record background people who, you know, look like they're talking, but they're not really talking, but I record them talking now, you know, the loop group, walla walla stuff, <laughs> right? Uh, or like, you know, the cop talking on the radio or hospital announcements or whatever. So you add these layers of voices. So any voices being, you know, included are kind of under my purview. Okay. Including the, the dialogue from the set, but also additionally recorded material that I do in the studio here and replace or add. Okay, and that's what, so like say like a car drives by or something in the shot, so that actor comes in and then does it in a sound studio to cover over whatever wasn't used before kind of thing? Well, I mean, the car obviously is a sound effects thing, but let's say a plane goes overhead and you're doing a period piece and there's not supposed to be any plane. Oh, okay, yeah, Mm mm-hmm. Now I ha- we have to replace that dialogue because we can't. If I can't get the plane out, which I have tools to try, but if it's still obvious that there's a plane going overhead, now that dialogue has a problem. It has to be replaced. Okay, that's I mean, that's completely the opposite of what I thought it was going to be. I did, when you said dialogue, I was thinking you know editing you know what said where and I know, but that's more of a script thing and and. Uh, yeah, uh, and that's defined by the director and the editor in uh, before it comes to me. Okay. They basically come up with a track of what they want said, and then I make it sound seamless and purdy. Okay. And you've done, I mean, you've done some big stuff, I mean, some big movies, but you've won an Oscar, for your, or your team won an Oscar for Mad Max, right? 
Yes. Okay. I won a couple of Emmys, and uh, I don't have the hardware for the Oscar, but I was on the team. Man, that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. I mean, how does that feel? I mean, I mean, do you feel? I mean, some people get weird about that stuff. Like, I don't, you know, why are we getting awards for these kind of things? Or, or you know, some people get weird about that. But how do you feel about winning those awards? I, I mean, well, no, I mean, I uh, look. The Fury Road was a really difficult uh, project, and so I'm thrilled that they, uh, that the team got acknowledged because, man, there were some. It was a really difficult uh, process. We were in Sydney, you know, for part of it, mm-hmm. that we were working a lot of hours. George Miller, the director, who is, I adore him, but he, he was very specific on what he wanted, and that, and it was, you know, it was a challenge. So, uh, so yeah, it's nice when a movie that you actually are really proud of and you worked really hard on gets acknowledgement. There are others that you, you know, work really you can my my thing is I can work really hard and give my heart and soul to something that isn't even a good movie, right? But once in a while you get to actually give your heart and soul to something that is also, you know, you think is a great movie and then to have it actually acknowledged it's kinda the triple threat you know it's yeah. like did i did i get to do a good job do i think it's a great movie and other people are acknowledging it and you know you get that everybody acknowledging it kind of thing although i think it was better than revenant and it should have won the best picture but that you know <laughs> putting that aside <laughs> because looking back how many people remember fury road over revenant come on yeah <laughs> I've I've said it on the show before, and I I walked out of Revenant not because of it being a bad movie, but uh, being a father and watching that scene where he, he had to watch his son be killed in front yeah, of him. Yeah. I literally walked out. I couldn't do. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. deal with it. It was too much. But uh, <laughs> well, what what are you working on now? Are you able to talk about it? Like, are, what's next for you? All right. Well, yeah. I mean, I just am completing something which I'm again hugely proud of. It worked really hard of, and I have. You know, high hopes that when it comes out in October, people will uh, love it as much as I do. It is a remake of A Star is Born. Okay. It is directed and starring uh, Bradley Cooper. It is his first time directing. And the female lead is Lady Gaga. Interesting. Okay. And I think that people are going to be surprised and they're going to like it. Okay. And that comes out in October. Yes. And then um, following right on the heels of that, I am now already started on <laughs> a, a spinoff of the Justice League for our friend Aquaman. Okay. <laughs> Man. What an interesting life, Kira. I mean, just so many cool. I'm, I'm sure you have, you know, millions of stories, but just, I mean, just that breakdown. I mean, what a, what a fascinating life. I mean, and you're doing something you love to do, and and you've got all these stories, and and uh, man, it's just really refreshing to hear, you know, such an interesting story. I mean, it, it really is. And you've done, you know, so many cool things, a bit a part of so many cool things, and and. Uh, 
you know, it's just a, uh, it's just fascinating. So I really appreciate you taking the time and, and making the time rather with the busy schedule to, to come on the show. And, and, uh, I mean, really appreciate the time. Well, you're welcome. Um, I'm glad you think it's interesting. It's funny because, uh, you know, you don't, obviously none of us think that our own lives are particularly interesting, you know, because it it all happens like a slow-moving train wreck. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like I mapped this plan out and I'm slowly executing it, you know. It's more like it's just, sometimes it feels like it's just, happening to me and not happening the way I would design it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that being said, I uh, I have no regrets. What would be the point? Yeah. And whatever I do, I will continue to do it all the way because what would be the point of spending all this time and effort and, you know, not giving it my all? Sure. That's a good way to be. I mean, absolutely. I I, I agree a hundred percent. And and uh, it seems like that's what you've done your your whole time is just go a hundred percent and and you know put everything you have into it. And it's awesome that you got. I mean, a lot of the things you're into because of your family and your brother. You know, that's that's cool too. I mean, uh, to have that kind of a consistent uh, um, way into things and 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 just taking it and running with it and doing some some awesome shit. I mean, it's it's really cool. So. Um, like I say, I really appreciate the time. I don't want to take much more of your time, and, and uh, um, I appreciate you carving out the time to do this. Well, you're welcome, Dewey. And if you decide that you have any follow-up questions, of course, always willing. Okay. Well, I appreciate it, Kira. Thank you so much, and, and uh, I'll let you know. Uh, I'll hit you up when it, uh, when it comes out, and, and uh, thank you again. All right, dude. Take care. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye now. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kira from Black Flag. What an amazing guest. Such a cool story. I'm glad you guys sat with me through this and and, uh, listened and had a great time like I did, I hope. Um, Just really glad to have her on and she'd come back on any time and we can continue. You know, we left things pretty open-ended, which is awesome um, to have her on and and, uh, maybe have her back someday. Who knows? So, Thanks again for listening week after week. Super glad to have you guys. Check out rockabilia.com. Uh, PC Jabberjaw is the code, 15% off. Check out the other shows on Jabberjaw. And uh, if you're listening on Adobe, keep listening here. Uh, download the full version on iTunes. If you missed anything, don't forget to rate and subscribe. And as always, we will see you on the radio.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.